Hello and welcome to episode 51 of the Uncapped Podcast, brought to you by Roast House Pub, one of Frederick's finest craft beer and culinary destinations. This week, it's a Uncapped Shelfies collaboration. We're recording at Whitey's Liquor Store with Rob Goss, the world-famous beer buyer, Rob Goss. Hey, it's the beer guy. What's happening, everybody? And since we have one Bostonian in the room, we... uh, are also lucky enough to have Dan Canary, CEO of Harpoon Brewing Company. It's wicked great to be here. <laughs> it's wicked piss of having you. So am I going to have to put up with that for about a half hour or so? If you want. Now that you let us know it bothers you. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been doing this for quite some time now, over 30 years, right? Yeah, 31 years. So... Typically, what I do is ask people what they were what they were doing before they started their brewery. High do you, school. Do you remember? No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. You know, yes, I actually do. I was I graduated from college. I went to Chicago for three years, where I worked at a bank. Met my wife and went to business school at night. Drank a lot of really mediocre, pale yellow lager in the Midwest, and was convinced that the American beer market was desperate for a change. And moved back to Boston in 1985. And then what? So it was just the lack of anything you wanted to drink. That's why yeah, you started you know, Harpoon. I started Harpoon with two other friends of mine. One, Rich Doyle. He and I had gone to college together. And then a third partner, George Ligetti, who was in business school with Rich at the time. So Rich and I had drank a lot of beer together. I'd been fortunate enough to backpack for two months in Europe right after graduation in '82, and just came upon all these incredible breweries mm-hmm. and. The, the difference between there and here back then was like night and day. You know, all different regions there had different breweries. The breweries right in the center of town, beer halls, beer gardens. It was a, like a dream come true when you came here and every brewery was a factory out on the interstate and beer was a commodity and to go coast to coast, you could change the tap handles and the styles were exactly the same. So Richard Dunn started doing a research project, second year business school about the microbrewing movement, as it was called back then, which was just getting started in Seattle and Portland, and came to me and said, what do you think about helping me turn this into a business plan and opening a brewery in Boston? And I said, I don't want to be a banker, and I love beer, and that vision idea that we'd had about, you know, changing the American beer market certainly appealed to me. Mm -hmm. I was stupid enough to think we could do it. How hard was it at that point, though? Because I would assume back then you were making things that the vast majority of people had had never experienced no clue that's right they didn't know it was is this an ale or a beer i mean the level of education about beer was so low and that was that it was darker and if you ever had a cloudy and it was like well that's not good that's not what it's supposed to be so there was an incredibly steep education component but there's stuff going on in the american market back then beyond beer starbucks have been getting going so you know Mm -hmm. back then duncan was a good coffee in the market right otherwise it was gas station swill and so American consumers are starting to say, you know what, we're willing to pay a little bit more for higher quality, darker, fuller flavored stuff with the story behind it. Ice cream, same thing. So we thought, you know what, this it's really maybe time that we can do this with beer and make it stick. Um, but it was a very, you're absolutely right, I, I would bring quarter barrels, you know, half kegs into accounts because we didn't have a bottling line to sample. And uh, the people had no idea. The benefit for us, and I'd say people will get this now, is... You know, since we were creating the category and educating people about it, you had a lot more room to make mistakes. Right. <laughs> you could, yeah, that's the way it's supposed and to be. And we did. Believe me, our beer, you know, there was one <laughs> week it was one thing, the next week it was the next. 
and uh, but people didn't know, so you couldn't be called out on it. Whereas today, that's obviously very right. different. Well, there's, I think there's somewhat of a resurgence of that, maybe with the newer trends yeah. and yeah. where people don't follow styles at all anymore. That's they right. Just make, I mean, they're they're amazing beers. They taste great. They just the style books mean next to nothing and they don't have to be consistent which is great and we certainly know that we're doing a juicer up at the brewery it's a new england style ipa we're on like the seventh generation of it every one of them is different and people right. people are like this is great i get more onion out of this one i get more tropical out of this i get grapefruit out of that different it's hop like, blends and stuff like that. hop blends different yeasts different brewing techniques and people have come to say that's what we want so in the in those early years would would you say education was that one of your biggest struggles just yeah. to get people to realize that there were better better beer that's right a better way to make beer. beer in the u.s was a commodity it was a light yellow lager and it was interchangeable you know even the the, the regionals that had survived to then mm-hmm. you know the rhine golds and Narragansett. utica clubs and gansett and old style were all the exact same right. beer basically so there was zero variation. You had to go. We thought, you know, when Killian's came out, you're like, oh, that my gosh, is this deal. real? Is this right. a real? And then, of course, you know, you found out it, the, the story wasn't what you thought it was, but it was, like, it was a different liquid. So educating people about what beer could be and also educating people about the freshness component of beer, that it's, you know, shelf life is more like milk than it is like vodka or wine and that, you know, fresher beer is better beer. A very big beer in Boston in the mid-'80s was Bass. Very, very big. Our that first was account, AB though, right? Yeah, absolutely. And our first account was the Sevens on Charles Charles Street on Beacon Hill, okay. and still a great account today. He, Jack Kiley, he was going through fifty kegs of bass a month. Wow! It was big because Guinness Importing Company brought bass in, so they'd say, "If you want Guinness, you got to take bass." And then bass took off, and then they said, "If you want bass and Guinness, you got to take Harp." Remember those days? You'd have the three of them together in accounts, but. We went after that kind of market saying, well, if you like that style of beer and mild English ale, you're going to love Harpoon Ale because we can make it right down the street without preservatives or any crap added to it and it's not being shipped through 1,000 miles. And Was that your first beer? Harpoon Ale. Yeah. So that was like an amber or English Yep, a mild bitter. English ale. That's right. It was. It's a delicious beer. And we still do it on tap at the at the beer hall in Boston and up in Riverbend Taps in Vermont. And right. it's, it's great. But it, the market just moved beyond it. Right. Yeah, the craft yeah, market. We see, yeah, we see a lot of that too. Where like those kind of beers, the good starter beers for people, right? But people have started to move away from that. But mm-hmm. they're always something like if you see somebody buying Bass, even though you know who it's owned by now, you can say if you like that, then you should try maybe right. this amber or this mild and there's not a lot of those but there's enough that you right. can get people involved in it's in a craft. it's a nice style for kind of bringing out the finer techniques of brewing as opposed to just overloading with one of the ingredients like right. dumping a ton of, ton of hops or you know some some fruit or whatever i mean it, it, some of these older styles we actually there's more subtle flavors to them appeal appeal to me on occasion where was the first brewery it's not where same it, place same oh place. yeah it exactly the it's the same place that's where we've been it's uh a building they built destroyers in okay. during the Second World War. We loved it because it had 45-foot ceilings, and they built it to withstand a direct hit by the Germans or Japanese. Wow. So the floors are thick and steel-reinforced, and it was 
within a mile of downtown Boston from Faneuil Hall. So we, we always, going back to those early thoughts, I, those trips I'd taken where breweries were in the center of towns and people would come visit, beer hall, beer pot, whatever it was, we wanted our brewery to be accessible. The only space in our brewery that's been used for the same purposes since we opened is our, what's now called the tasting room. We'd knock down some brick walls, Rich and I with sledgehammers, and that was where we had our first tours. And so, yeah, we've just, we had 5,200 square feet when we opened in the building, and now we have 47,000 square feet. Yeah, that's a great space, too, like that yeah. beer hall part of it upstairs. And yeah. You can see, like, out into the water and stuff. It's, the whole city's moved really out nice, towards uh, us. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a really nice space, and that whole area of the city has been revitalized, probably in part to Harpoon being there. Well, you know what? It's a great example of a public-private partnership that works. I say this to people because it was a multi-billion dollar cleanup of Boston Harbor because we're right on the harbor. They put in a new tunnel to the airport and, and then new subway line out to us. So all of a sudden now you have 3 million square feet of office space and all these new buildings and the whole city has come out in that direction and it's fantastic. And it's great for us, obviously. We have over 500,000 people a year visit our two breweries. Yeah, and and the and the I love the Windsor one. We we go to Vermont every year, so we always stop in the Windsor one. And Wiz, who's the tap room manager up there, treats us great. We love her. Um, yeah, we we always we always head up it's there. A great they always spot. have a great amount of like rotating taps, like experimental beers on. Not as many as Boston, but quite a few. Yep. And that used to be the Catamount. That's brewery. right. That's right. When we started back in 86, there were two people getting into the beer business in New England who were brewing in New England. People are going to always say, what about Jim Cook? But he was not brewing in New England. He was, he was brewing, brewing in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. And um, it was David Geary up in Portland, right? And then the Steve Mason and Alan Davis at Catamount in White River Junction. So they were pioneers of craft brewing. And so in 1996, they uh, begged, borrowed, and stole a bunch of money and built a new brewery 10 miles south of White River in Windsor. Right. And then in 2000, we were looking for additional capacity, and my great friend Alan Newman called me. Another call from Alan Newman of Magic Hat and said, you guys should check out the Catamount Brewery to hear it's closing. So we went and checked it out in April of 2000, and June 30th, we closed on the deal and bought it. And we've been operating up there for 17 years and absolutely loving it. Yeah, and now they have that little, like, sort of shopping mall thing that's there, and you do that UFO yeah. clear liquor with, Silo. Oh, Silo Vodka does a UFO yeah. white. Yeah. yeah, they take the yep. they spent grains and, yep. and distill it. That's kind of cool. The park is, the landlord's a, a cool guy, Terry McDonald up there. His brother-in-law is Simon Pierce, a glass blower. So there's a glass blowing facility. There's a outfitter that does great uh, sled dog rides in the winter or kayaking down mm -hmm. in Connecticut in mm -hmm. the summer. The garden, jam maker, distillery, and cheese maker. So yeah, it's, it's a great a spot. Fun spot. Yeah, it's always our to first visit. stop on the way uh, on the way up, and we spend a good amount of time there. So, and you know, it's been as getting back to it. It's been in our DNA since we started the company. We want people to come visit us. So I love hearing that that you say that when you go, how well you're received, because that's we tell people that this is what we want. We want folks to come and feel incredibly welcome, to have great beer, and have a wonderful time. So where where did the name Harpoon come from? What, did that come before you found where you wanted your brewery to be along the water, or was that? It was right about the same time. It was the summer of 1986 when we were doing it. We were raising money. We were finding a location. We wanted our brewery to be on or near the water. We wanted something that kind of tied into a nautical theme in New England, historical New England name, and something that was two syllables that you can have some great imagery around it. I can, I can remember the moment hearing it rich doyle my partner came up with it and uh, at their apartment in alston nice. and, and and we'd i'd gone down to mystic seaport museum looking through old books on names like of old clipper ships and we'd looked at a number of them and then rich came out and said what do you think of hard plan we're like boom done 
absolutely done. And then, so now though you have, is is it operated? Is it almost two divisions where you you've spun UFO into? This is. I'm glad you asked because I think we've confused people with this over the years. Our corporate name has always been Mass Bay Brewing Company. Go back and read our business plan and our corporation documents. It's Mass Bay Brewing Company, and so. But then our first beer was Harpoon Ale. So and then we developed the Harpoon line. Harpoon Winter Warmer introduced 29 years ago this month, which and we're sipping on now. By the way, so which excellent. Is awfully nice. Happy holidays. Can happy holidays. It's 70, <laughs> it's 70 out, but happy holidays. And. Um, and then in t- about 10 years later, in 97, you know, we really liked American Heffies, and there wasn't anything in our market. Same reason we did an IPA. There was nothing in our market. We had the first IPA in, our, in the East Coast and first American Heffy in the East Coast. We liked it, but back then we feared that people would think cloudy beer was bad beer because a lot of them still did. Right. And we didn't want to do it in the harpoon line, so we said, let's come up with a different line and have some fun with this. Is it, identif- is it unidentified floating objects? Is it unfiltered <laughs> offering? You know. So we came out with UFO Heffy in 97 and then built that line out over time. And then we've just discovered it's a really different consumer. The harpoon consumer and the UFO consumer are really different. UFO consumer skews female, lighter, sweeter. They don't want to know what the IBUs are. They don't want to know the hop variety. They want to know more, hey, is this a grapefruit shandy or is this a huckleberry mix or what exactly this is? So what we've done in the last couple of years is just made it more pronounced that Harpoon and UFO are different brands owned by the same corporate parent, which is Mass Bay Brewing Company. Okay. If I hope I didn't confuse you more. No, that, no, that makes sense. That kind of brings us around to the news, right? Well, no, first, we, well, we still, um, you're, you're also very unique. There aren't that many breweries where you're employee-owned. Yeah. And what, what was the, what triggered that? It really surprises what, me, by the way. It really surprised me that there are yeah, not like a lot of breweries. New Belgium. Well, you know, I heard for years an awful lot of community kumbaya talk in our industry. And then you're kind of watching every week kind of companies, you know, sell to bigger corporations as opposed to taking the ESOP route. And because I know something now about ESOPs, I'm like, I don't quite, I don't completely understand it in the sense that you can get a full and fair price selling to an ESOP. Like we bought my partner Rich out three and a half years ago. We, we got a banking group together. We bought him out and gave those 48% of the company, those shares to the employees. Um, And for me, it just, again, given the way that we've run our company and the legacy that we want to leave and the opportunity we want to give our 200 incredible employee, full-time employees, it just made complete sense. It checked an awful lot of the boxes. And so, you know, what I say to folks is that, you know, we have an external vision, which is all about our brands, creating brands of enduring value and attraction, right? Which is a challenging thing to do in this environment. But the internal vision is, can we, can we create a business that, that, where this can work? And this is not a short-term thing. And it's not, I'm starting that process, but it's going to be up to really, you know, the next generation of folks at Harpoon slash Mass Bay Brewing. Right. Can you guys and gals carry this forward? Because it's an, all it is for you is a great opportunity. You own this business now, and it's being given to you. Right. So it's not a 401k where I had a payroll deduction to buy these shares or whatever it was. No, this, these shares just over time are allocated to you. So it's a great opportunity for our employees to show it. And there are, you know, obviously New Belgium, Deschutes is a small percentage, okay. ESOP. I think New Glarus is or is going, Alaskan, uh, Odell's. Out, oh, I didn't out, know that. Yeah, left hand. So there's a, you know, there's a there's a solid group now. It was around five. Now it's really probably closer to ten or twelve. Do you think craft people are seeing what's happening with buyouts, and they're like, well, we don't like that, so we're gonna set it up so it stays within our family. I hope so. 
if I understand your question, I hope people are starting to see that this is a good path, a good way to do it. Did I understand your question? Yeah. Yeah. Because, uh, well, when I first met you, I met you at CBC, and you were at that panel with Hugh from over here at Heavy Seas, mm -hmm. and then everybody else was sort of somebody that just had been picked up That's right. by AD. That's right. That's right. So, that high-end session in yeah. D.C. last right. year. So I was, so I was, you were a good contrast because I felt like you were the reason – you went employee owned was to prevent a lot of like maybe the takeover well you know i remember and i don't have any issue really with no the and you know what I, I i don't either i just i just believe in being honest right and if you're going to sell and take i i sold i took a big check I, i'm rich now i took a check i sold and i think people dress up a lot of stuff right and so i don't care if you sold but just don't try to sell me a bill of bullshit Right. Pardon my language. That's all I would say. And, that, and, and, and believe in honesty in advertising. If you're that proud of it, put it on your label. That's all. Right. So, and I think ABI, they make phenomenal beer. Right. Miller Coors, they make great. I No question about that. But again, I, just, I think you just got to treat consumers with enough respect to tell them exactly what's going on. And they, but the only, only other point I would make, again, with getting back to the ESOP, is if you're looking for that liquidity event, which my partner was, he wanted to sell our company, right, to somebody else. We gave him a full and fair price. We got him a full and fair price. So, but we kept the company independent. So and actually, we did more than that. We gave it to help. our employees. You were able to make him happy and still That's retain right. what you wanted to That's keep. That's right. And so, has that helped with employee retention? Absolutely, absolutely. And again, you know, there'll be some. Not all employees get it or care about it. Right, yeah, there's it, some employees in the background giving the thumbs background. up. That's right, kind of giving me the finger behind my head here. <laughs> um, but yeah, people, I think, and you guys, I, I, people are fired up about it, and it's but it's an education thing. It's not a light switch. Oh, we got an ESOP. We know what we have to do. This is exciting. No, it's a multi-year kind of, and them seeing the statements each year as their account balances grow, seeing like, wow, this is real, and what does it really mean to be employee-owned? I mean, is it? It's, it's not a co-op, right? So a lot of ways it's run like it was before, but there's an awful lot more of involvement. There's more information flowing back and forth. And I think we end up attracting a, a different kind of employee who finds that appealing. So do you guys do like employee beers? Like will you have like a think tank of a bunch of employees getting together and they're like, let's do this Yes. as a, like, is but that, that pre-day, I mean, we've been doing that for a long time. We, a we have annual employee homebrew contests that go into the 100-barrel series, and I've actually gone into seasonal beers. We also have what we call the Imbibe Committee, which is 18 people that meets monthly that tests anywhere from 12 to 24 beers at a sitting, just stuff that's been on the pilot system or that our innovation brewer has done. And it's kind of a collective decision-making process in that regard. That's cool. Yeah, I, I like to I like to hear that kind of stuff. I think that I mean, and plus that keeps your employees like really focused and excited on the beer. On the beer again, you know, it's all about the beer. It's why we have can machines with twenty five cent beers around. All the proceeds go to Harpoon Health. We've got so many taps in different locations. We have taps in three separate locations in the brewery. Nice. Uh, you know, it's because it really, that's what it's all about. Beginning, beginning and end of the day is the beer, right? I know you guys used to do, I'm sure you still do, you used to do that cranberry beer for the Boston Food Bank. Yeah, and yeah, the, Grateful Harvest. Right. Do you still do that? You know, we're doing it on a on modified a basis this year. We're actually doing Friendsgivings in both breweries. We've done it for the last several oh. years to support the Boston Food Bank, Greater Boston nice. Food Bank, and as well as the Vermont. And we do the single largest fundraiser every year for the Vermont Food Bank, our point-to-point -point bike event in the summer.
So speaking of ownership changes, uh, you had some big news this week. Yeah, we had exciting news. Yes, yeah. big exciting news. Yeah, was... and you know, it's so fun because I've been living this for six months, and it was great to be able on Monday to finally to get the word out, and, and you know, because these, date, these dates can seem so far, and, and it's not natural to us not to kind of be open about things, but with deals like this, you kind of have to be quiet because there's an awful lot of stuff that can go wrong yeah, along the, the way. Until the very end, it could yeah. fall apart and nothing yeah. happens. And so we're, we're so excited about bringing Clown Shoes on board. It was, I was talking this earlier about this, that when they first kind of came to us almost, you know, over the transom type of a thing in March, we just said no. I said, you know what, we, our plate's too full. We're doing a UFO launch, relaunch and a lot of stuff going on. And I didn't think, I think, I thought culturally, you know, what I know about these guys, it probably wouldn't be a good fit, which just proves how narrow and idiotic I am because <laughs> when uh, my great, a great friend in the industry gave me a call to say, you know, these are good guys. I love the brand. You should talk to them. I, we took a meeting with Greg Berman and a banker that he was working with, and I tell you, we just clicked. And it, we clicked from the character type of philosophy first, which is ideal. You know, it's like the type of person he is, how he runs his company, what his objectives were in a transaction. It was not about, hey, I want to cash out and get out. It's like, no, 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 I want to go to some place that I can take care of my people, we can make great beer, and we can take this brand to the next level. And if we can structure this in a way that works for you and works for me, we, we have a home run. And that's been the attitude ever since. And we kind of met his team. All eight of their employees are coming over to and join us. And he's staying on too? Absolutely. Yeah. Fully committed. And the structure is over time for the transaction, which works for us and aligns his interests with our interests. And my, you know, when you ask, what do I as CEO care about with this? And view was one of my key jobs is – I, I'm, a tr I'm really attracted to clown shoes for that brand and that beer and how they do it. Mm -hmm. I'm not looking to bring these guys into Mass Bay Brewing Company and, and intersperse them throughout the company and turn them into just more harpoon and UFO folks. Right. I'm really, I think it's one of my most important responsibilities here is to make sure that they're getting the additional resources to do what they want to do, but they're still doing it the same way they used to do it. So it's Greg and Dan Lipsky and Michael Axe's design guy. They're kind of in a room. They're doing their stuff. They're not going through the Harpoon design team and design marketing so they're department. Doing, they're basically under your umbrella, but that part of it. That's is, right. They're, they're going to have stuff. their primary offices are going to be up in Woburn. They're in Burlington, Mass., which is right. up on 128. They're moving to Woburn, which is where our big warehouse is for Harpoon. Okay. And we have some unused office space that's now being used for drum sets and weight you know, weight benches <laughs> and stuff like that. That we've moved for these guys. We're going to have them actually there. With a little shoe station, they have a small office at the Boston Brewery because I want them back and forth to integrate to the culture. Right. But I'm really looking to keep them as a distinctive group doing their, doing their fun stuff the way they've been doing it. We have as much to learn from them as they do from us. They that, do a lot that's of my really attitude. Absolutely. Like Absolutely. Too. As I was telling you earlier, they've gone from being, they've never had their own brewery. They've been a contract brewer, right? And so getting on somebody else's schedule. So now they've got access to three, you know, 20 to 30 gallon pilot systems, a 10 barrel pilot system, and then a 50 barrel brew house and a 120 barrel brew house. They'll be doing it both in Boston and Vermont, oh, but I would say mostly Boston. Boston because of proximity. Because of proximity and just that's where our canning line is. Right. And uh, more and more of their stuff is, I think, going to be in cans yes. or in 12 ounce bottles. Vermont, we do 22s. So they're going to be they're going to be in both, and we're going to keep a small piece of it up at Ipswich. At Ipswich, Rob Martin, 
you know, the owner of it, such a great old friend of ours. And some of the smaller batch stuff, it just makes sense with Rob's setup and his packaging lines to kind of keep that there. So we're happy to do that. So but I'd say it, most of it's coming in It truly is a huge win-win for both of your companies then. They, I, I hope so. I, I think they so. They go from struggling to fit in, as you said, someone else's schedule, being able to fit in competing at a right. – at a, to now having access to Everything. a wide range of being the, the batch sizes they can do. Yep. And you suddenly have this entire new line of where you have that doesn't compete virtually, with us. Yeah, virtually, Other than maybe our hundred barrel on occasion. It doesn't. We're not. In, we're not at the in that end of the craft market. Yeah. There's vir virtually no crossover. Right. I mean, maybe beers that get close to each other a little bit, but for the most part, you've just. Yeah, expanded yeah, closest, your portfolio. The closest beer would probably be Clementine. That's the, the right. White mango or yeah. something. Absolutely. And a couple of our hundred barrel will get into their end of the end of the twenty two market. But no, you're absolutely right. And that again was one of the appeals to me, is that we need to learn from them and not learn from them to say like, hey, we're going to take harpoon in that direction, but just how are you guys doing? And let's give you more resources to have more success doing what you've already been doing. In the design side, I mean, they just do it very differently than we do. And I love the way they do it. It kind of reminds me of the way we used to do it 20 and 30 years ago, you know? <laughs> We're and the so new bad boys I, on the block. I'm not looking to change that. And I think that's, and it, you know, you read some of the stuff on social about, well, everyone says nothing's going to change. And they, you know, oh, that's bullshit. And, you know, I'm here, you're kind of here to say to people, you know, we're not bad guys here. We're not. <laughs> We really actually mean that. I don't know if we're going to be able to achieve it, but that's I view it as one of my key jobs here. I, w I didn't want, want to buy clown shoes because I didn't like clown shoes. Right. Or the people. To the contrary. I really I really like grown to like that brand and really like the people. And I'm just looking to kind of give them more ability to, to do more. And we're doing a new barrel age thing up in Vermont. We've got the space at in town in Windsor where we're located up there. We're going to do an extensive barrel aging project. We've never really done that before. We've never had the space to do that before. They do. They've been doing it. And so now we're going to get into it with both feet. That's really exciting. That's great. That'll be great. So was um was Monday their first day as official employees? Yeah. When it was next? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, we, we'd been targeting. We'd actually been targeting earlier in October. And then you know, because of the ESOP, we have a banking group that we had to kind of get approval from. So our banks kind of tacked on about an unexpected three weeks onto the close. But then we sort of targeted the as 30th. As banks do. As banks can do. And so, but we got it done. And they all were there. We did a 10 o'clock announcement to all of our employees. We had a webinar for folks who were not in Boston or, and uh, made the announcement. And it was a spontaneous clapping, hugging. People were excited about it. And then we brought a bunch of their beers out and we did a, we did a tasting at the brewery and yeah, it's knock on whatever here, but so Plastic. far so good. You know, we've got to we've got to keep at it. I think the you know the next some ways the work's over, but that's the smallest part of it. The real work's beginning now, and making sure that we get this right, and then we get incredible beer out there. We get the word out to consumers. This is what Clown Shoes is going forward, which is largely what Clown Shoes has been all along. So, is your plan to slowly ramp it up to broaden their distribution? Because I, w I would imagine as a ratio, they're just tiny compared to Harpoon at this point. They're probably, or yeah, they're probably about 7 or 8 9% of our volume. Um, we're going to take it slow, absolutely. You know, we've had, we have real questions in various markets. We're not aligned in a bunch of markets with just distribution. Um, again, it, it sells into a different 
segment of craft. Mm -hmm. And we're no, we don't feel we have a gun to our head to make changes to a system that's working. So, you know, because we've been asked that a lot in the last 48 hours. Hey, you're going to move wholesale? It's just like, we're not doing anything right now. You know, we'll, we'll right. evaluate this over the next, you know, three to nine months and kind of see whether we should do some things in certain markets if it makes sense. Is that where the transaction being over time helps a lot? Where? Well, I would just... Because it puts less pressure on yeah. you to get an I, ROI right away. That you know things. That, oh, absolutely. I didn't see the question. Yes, yes, it helps. Again, that's the old alignment of interests, right? So it'd be one thing we said, okay, we got to pay this all down right now, so we've got to jump on this. We don't have to do that. And I, again, from my perspective, first thing, do, do no harm. I'm, you know, people are out there looking to see how are they going to change this. You know, you know yeah. that the. And, I, you know, you also know what's going to happen is someone's going to come in here today and buy a clown shoes beer and say they changed it. When the beer on the shelves here had nothing to do with us. Yeah. Was produced, right? yeah. <laughs> but you know that's going to happen, yeah. right? It's going to be a good month or so. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. The we are the first. We, we've done a bunch of test brews, and, and we've served them in our beer hall under other names over the last couple of months. <laughs> and they're really good, and they've been well-received. People didn't know they were actually clown shoes beers we were doing test brews on. We have clown shoes on the schedule Monday in Boston. Cool. So starting Monday, we'll be brewing. Be I think it might be Galactica. Ooh, oh. that's a great beer. Yeah. That's an awesome Yeah, beer. yeah. But someone's going to be listening to saying he, he got that wrong. Yeah. We can't <laughs> let him go out of the brewery anymore. Well, the thing about Clown Shoes is, I mean, I have it for distro here, and it's not a question of, it's a question of amount you can get. Yeah. So this helps me as a retailer because I feel like when it gets to the bigger systems and blah, 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 We'll be able to get more of that's that right. product here instead of always having that's right. stocks. That's right. And that was, if you talk to Greg about one of the reasons why he wanted to sell, he was sick of that. Right. He couldn't plan and he couldn't get enough product to people. And he's like, I, I got to change this equation here somehow. And we've had, we had actually two of his leading wholesalers, largest wholesalers, come to us early on and, and say that they would love to invest alongside us if they could which we didn't do, right. but just as an idea, because they were like, they were so happy that this was going to happen and that, that those supply issues they thought would probably go away over time. Yeah, I think that was like the biggest thing that held them back because the beers are so phenomenal. They're all like really high rated and all like the websites and all that stuff. And the stouts are like killer. The, yeah. All that, all that stuff they do, the Blycorn, Unicorn, which is great, the Russian Imperial undead party crash and the american stout those are all i mean they're really good so i'm excited i was yeah. really happy when i heard that i got an early text and i and i had to promise i wouldn't spill the beans and i didn't I, I, good I, thank I, you I, I, I put a zipper on it so i'm excited good so congratulations Yes, thank you. congratulations thank you um and i know you have a plane to catch so we'll, we'll wrap up so i want to definitely thank you for taking time oh, for yeah. you thank you yeah. I'm for flying to be here, back guys. to talk Thanks to for your us. interest and um i want to thank whiteys for hosting us shelfies thanks shelfies yep. the show for Curtis, collaborating we, with Curtis, me we got you back on this one buddy <laughs> <laughs> and uh thank you everyone for listening cheers thank cheers. you cheers thank you the uncapped podcast is produced by graham cullen and me chris sands be sure to like us on facebook and if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening.